Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Do you guys remember the book Chicken Soup for the Soul that came out in the 1990s? Well, it became a major bestseller with 100 million copies in print and in 54 languages. It also became something of a social phenomenon. The brand holds a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the most books on the New York Times bestseller list at one time. And USA Today named Chicken Soup for the Soul one of the five most memorable and impactful books of the last quarter century. Well, this year they're celebrating 20 years of success. And our guest is Amy Newmark, who is publisher, co-author and editor of the 20th anniversary edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Welcome to the show, Amy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations on all your success so far. Main question, first question, what was the original inspiration for the Chicken Soup for the Soul? It came about in a really interesting way. Mm. There were two motivational speakers, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, who both used anecdotes, real, real personal stories from real people right. in their motivational speeches. And people kept saying to them, you guys should put these stories into a book. And so Jack started writing the book. He then asked Mark to contribute some additional stories. They decided to get it up to 101. They liked the idea of having 100 plus one more. It just made it seem limitless. And they A bit like the 101 Dalmatians. I guess you thought it, yeah. And they, uh, they put together the book with 101 stories. They looked for a publisher. This was a completely unknown format back then, and mm-hmm. no publisher would touch it. They t- tried for a long time. They fi- finally found a little publisher in Florida right. uh, called HCI that printed a couple of thousand copies of the book for them. Mm-hmm. They started selling the book out of the back of their cars. They sold it in the back of the room when they were making motivational speeches. And the next year, 1994, it became a huge hit. And that original Chicken Soup for the Soul book has sold more than 8 million copies just in the U.S. and Canada and untold millions all over the world. But no bookshop would keep it. You mean you were selling it from the back of their car and, and, and just walking around with the book? Initially, and they, I mean, there was no social media back then. There yep. was no Internet. There was no way to sell it easily, so they just did it one copy at a time and they sent hundreds of free copies out to various people who they thought were influential and they just marketed like crazy and then it took off and then every bookstore wanted it wanted it and it became a number one new york times bestseller and that launched this 20-year success story uh, that we are now celebrating why do you think it became such a success i think that because it seems such a simple formula. Well, but no one else had done it. Mm. And, and in fact, in all these years, we've had many other publishing companies try to do it, and no one else has succeeded. Everyone else who tries falls by the wayside, and we just keep chugging along. I think that the reason that people like getting their inspiration, their motivation, their advice this way is because people really do love hearing the stories of other people just like them. If you have a disease, you'll turn to people you know who have had the disease. Anything that happens to you, you'll turn to your peers or to other people who have had that experience. We love to learn from each other. And so collecting all of this wisdom and advice in the form of personal stories 
makes it a very easy way to read a personal development book, read a self-help book. Because storytelling is the way that mankind has been passing on wisdom and culture and advice for thousands of years. So I think they hit on a great way of delivering happiness, wellness, inspiration in a way that people can find relatable. Well, you know, like religion offers spiritual fulfillment. What do you think Chicken Soup for the Soul, what sort of fulfillment was it offering? I think what Chicken Soup for the Soul does is make people look within themselves to realize how much strength they have, how much resilience they have, how much talent they have, how much faith they have, and it forces them to realize how much potential they have within themselves. They already have all of the tools they need to have the life that they want. And I think Chicken Soup for the Soul does a great job of empowering people to go on to more productive lives, to pursue their passion, to find their purpose. So almost in a way, um, if I have a certain type of problem, I'm comforted by the fact that there might be other people with a similar problem, but who've also found a solution. Yes, and our stories always do have solutions. We don't publish stories from people who are just complaining about something, but not telling us how they solved their problem. Right. We publish stories that are practical, that contain tips, that show how somebody overcame a challenge, or even show how somebody with a wonderful life made the life even more wonderful. Uh, by using their own power, their own abilities. So it's very inspirational. Um, but it's inspirational with a reality in It place. is reality, because when you read our stories, you say, oh, I could do that. Or I can relate to that, and there's the solution. Yeah, and also you said, how, um, you said something about how people don't feel as alone. We get so many letters with mm. that exact language where people say, I read chicken soup. I read a chicken soup book for teenagers, and now I realize other kids are having the same problems that I have, and I don't feel as alone. Or a new mother will write, she read our new mom's book. I don't feel as alone. Uh, somebody with cancer writes and says, I don't feel as alone. It's amazing how often we get that phrase, no matter what the subject matter of the book was. Everyone says, it's so great to see there are other people out there who have the same issues and who have overcome the challenges that I'm just starting to face. So walk me through the process of this uh, when you were writing this 20th edition. Um, how do you inform the public or the readers that you want them to share their stories? Well, there's two issues there. One is that the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book, which is the one that we have relaunched now in mm. honor of our 20th anniversary, um, that contain stories that were collected by Jack and Mark. Right. Those were the stories they told during their speeches. For all of the new books that we make, and there are about 250 of them on a variety of topics, mm -hmm. we actually go out to the public now using the Internet, and we send out 5,000 emails to our past writers. We uh, post what we're looking for on our website. The call-outs that we do, those 5,000 emails get spread around virally. Writers groups share them. A woman might read one of them and send it to her mom and say, you should write a story about that thing that happened to you. They're looking for that story. So we end up getting about 
5,000 submissions for each book that we publish now. We only publish 101 stories. But the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book, the one that we have relaunched, which we're so excited about this year for our 20th anniversary, with that book, what I decided to do is publish the republish the original book with yeah. all of those classic stories that everyone loves and add in 20 bonus stories for the next 20 years. And in this particular book, what we did was we went to the people we think are today's thought leaders, and we said to them, would you like to contribute to this newly launched, this, this new new edition of our old classic book. And so we got stories from um, M.K. Asante, Reverend Michael Beckwith, um, Chris Carr, who wrote Crazy Sexy Cancer Tips, Deepak Chopra wrote for us, Laurie DeShane, Eric Handler, Darren Hardy, who runs Success Magazine, uh, Tori Johnson, Mastin Kipp, Nick Ortner, Dr. Oz, Anthony Robbins, Don Miguel Ruiz, and I've left out a few people so these are all today's thought leaders, and they jumped at the chance to write original stories and be part of this relaunch of the original book because this book changed everything in the self-help industry. It was the first time that people told their personal stories instead of just telling anecdotes about other people. So the first book was from the ordinary person on Main Street, right? Yes, it and was. And then now this one is the same story, but now what you have running in parallel with it is is a story from a famous celebrity. Yes, but here's what's interesting. Mm. All of these new stories from these celebrities, yeah. these are all people who are celebrities in the self-help, personal development world. Right. And here's what's so interesting. 20 years ago, when Jack and Mark started this and revolutionized the self-help publishing industry, People would tell anecdotes about other people. But then it started to get personal. And now, when you look at at today's self-help people, they talk about themselves. Chris Carr, when she wrote Crazy Sexy Cancer Tips, uh, which I just reread a week ago, and it's terrific, she writes about herself. So now the motivational people who are making speeches or are writing books are sharing their own experiences as well as bringing in the experiences of other people. And that's a real change in the self-help industry over the past 20 years. It's become much more about sharing your personal story and using that story as part of the advice that you're giving. Right. And in, in, in actually the book, you have a chapter dedicated to motivation, um, amazing connections, great advice, things like that. And how do you choose the story that's going to impact that particular subject matter? In our books, well, we get so many. Here's what, here's what we do. If we're doing um, one of our new topics, mm-hmm. we don't even go into it with any preconceived notions about what the chapters will be. So let's say we're doing, um, well, we did a book called Think Positive for Kids, right. um, and that's out right now. Uh, we... We put a call out there for the stories, and then we looked at what came in, and we, we got the 101 best stories from the thousands that were submitted. And then we said, okay, what are, the, what are the big trends right now? What do people really care about? And then we made the chapters because we let the public's stories tell us what's really important to people today. 
we don't want to go in with preconceived notions and create a book that doesn't mirror what we were sent. The stories that were sent tell us what our books should be about. They really are reflections of society. It's almost like crowdsourcing. Think of us as a highly curated form of crowdsourcing, creating these books. Mm. So the success of your book really is based on the story of other people's lives. And people are so unselfish about sharing. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing how people will share really personal stories, often about subjects that were painful for them or embarrassing, and they'll tell us, I've never even told anyone in my family this story, but I'm writing it now for your book. And for some reason, they're okay with sharing it with 100,000 strangers, even though they've never told their own parents the story. Uh, so it's interesting that we are the first confidant for many people, but that's how deep their sharing goes in giving us these stories. But then how do you manage stories that you decide not to publish? We just don't say anything to the person. I mean, we'll get thousands of stories for a book, and we will only contact the people whose stories we want to use. Right. Well, can you share a story with us of how the book changed someone's life? Well, there's a great story in the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book, the one that we've republished for our 20th anniversary. And I mean, this story is about how um, smiling actually changed someone's life. So in this, in this book, um, we have a story in the original book. By, uh, it's about Antoine um, de Saint-Exupéry, mm -hmm. the French writer, and it's about his service in the, I guess, in the Spanish Civil War. And he wrote about the time that he was captured by the enemy and thrown into a jail cell. And the jailers were being very rough on the prisoners. Now, this was back when everybody smoked, of course. So he was um, trying to light his cigarette one day, and he didn't have a light. And so he asked his jailer if he could give him a light. And the jailer begrudgingly came towards him with a match. And as he came closer, their eyes met, and Antoine de Saint-Exupéry smiled. He, doesn't, he says in his story he doesn't really know why he smiled. Maybe it was just nervousness, but he did it. And all of a sudden, that smile leaped through the bars of his cell and generated a smile on the lips of his jailer. So then Antoine kept smiling at the jailer, viewing him now as a person, the jailer looked back at him and realized that he was just looking at another young soldier, a person, and said to him, do you have kids? Antoine took out his wallet, showed pictures of his family, and he and the jailer, their eyes filled with tears because they really recognized they were just kids. You know, they were young men just on opposite sides, and the jailer silently unlocked his cell let him out of the jail, and let him go. And Antoine says, my life was saved by a smile. And I love that because it's so illustrative of the fact that our stories help you make these tiny changes in your life that are easy to make but can have such a difference. We actually got a story from a woman named Sophronia Scott, who is um, a writer, and she said she read that story in, in the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Mm -hmm. And it changed her life because she moved to New York City right after college. And 
she was a little bit scared. She was from Ohio, and she found New York City to be scary, and <laughs> she thought everybody was standoffish. And then she read that story, and she decided she would just start smiling at everybody. And she said that before she started smiling at everybody, she, she had thought that a smile made you passive and powerless right. and would un, you know, invite unwanted attention. But then she realized that, that it was actually just the opposite. Smiling gives you strength, and smiling is actually a tool. And I think that's so true. A smile is really a, like a boomerang. You put one out there, it's going to come right back at you. So I love that story in the original book, and I think it's a great example of how a simple little thing that any of us can implement, doesn't cost anything, doesn't take a lot of thought, doesn't require you to lose 15 pounds before you do it, none of those things. It's easy. We have lots of simple little things like that that really change people's lives. Now, Chicken Soup for the Soul is, over the last 20 years, you guys have been busy. It's become a brand and a lifestyle. I mean, you've got over 250 versions of your titles. There's yeah. something for every aspect of society. There is, and I'm very proud of that because we will actually put out books mm. just to help people, even if a particular topic is not going to be a huge commercial success for but us. But how do you identify the topic? What do you, what do you, are you permanently out there in society trying to identify what's missing? Yes, I'm out there all the time. Mm. I'm I'm listening to people. I'm listening to what issues are. I try to sample a broad cross-section of the media. I try to sample pieces of morning talk shows. I read the bestsellers out there. I listen to what people are talking about. And I think about holes in our lineup. For example, earlier this year, we put out a book for people who are raising kids on the autism spectrum. Right. It's not going to be the biggest book in the world, mm -hmm. but boy, does this book help the people who it targets. And we've had so many thank you notes from mothers who said, I laughed, I cried, this book has changed my life, I don't feel like I'm the only one now who has an autistic child. So we do things like that as well. We're always looking to cover special topics where we think our special format of 101 stories from real people can make a difference to uh, a sector of, this, of society. So you have 250 versions of this, right? Yes, we do. How long does it take you to turn around a book? From, say, getting the stories to getting it published to getting it on the bookshelves? It can be as long as a year mm -hmm. from, from me thinking it up to us getting it on the shelves. But if we really want to, we can put out a book in less than six months. For example, in late 2008, when we realized we were in a terrible recession, we decided that we were going to make a book about the recession. We were going to put together stories that would help people who were losing their homes, losing their jobs. Which one was that called? It's called Tough Times, Tough People. We put mm. it out in... June of 2009, and we only thought it up in December of 2008. So that was a quick turnaround, and it's been a very successful book for us. And you know what was great about that book? All these people sent us stories about how I'm living in my car, I lost my home, I lost my job, I lost everything. And then they would say, and we're really happy. My family is happy. We spend time together like, this is all going to be okay. We still have our health. I mean, everybody was 
coming through with such a positive attitude. I was very impressed with people in general as I read all of the stories that were submitted for that book. It's a very uplifting, positive book, even though it's about people going through these really big challenges. What was the one that didn't do so well out of the 250 titles? Oh, boy, let me think about my losers. Um, Let's see, what has not done so well? Um, We did one about NASCAR. Really? And it's a great book, and we have stories from all of the big famous racers. It's a really terrific book. We just never got the distribution right. But what was the the motive behind NASCAR? Because it's not a social issue, is it? No, we don't only do social issues. We Hmm. do... We do a lot of books about different sports. Um, we, because every, it's funny, like I was reading our basketball book. I remember when I was editing our basketball book, and I didn't really care that much about basketball. Um, I just had a warm glow for two days after I finished editing that book because I found the book so inspirational, even though it was all about basketball. But it was all these big players talking about how they became NBA stars and what their belief systems were and how they worked hard and what their childhoods were like. And a lot of them had really inspirational stories about, you know, growing up in very difficult neighborhoods, lots of poverty, lots of challenges, and how they just powered through and pursued their passion and worked hard and are now big successes. So it doesn't really matter what the specific subtopic is. The fact is that any well-written story can be very inspirational and motivational. Well, what were the stories in NASCAR? The same thing about how they became successful? Yeah, and also stories about families getting together watching NASCAR, you know, sitting around the TV and watching the races together and how that would create family time. Or a story about a little boy who was very disabled, um, mentally disabled, but NASCAR brought him out of his shell and he loved watching the cars and that was a joy for his family and everybody who saw him watching the races because it really helped him to connect with other people. I mean, really any topic mm. can cre- can be... Uh, a chicken cre- soup for the soul. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's really true. We, we get such great stories. And remember, because we get thousands submitted for every topic, mm-hmm. we have fabulous raw material to work with. Do all your stories come in from U.S., or do they come in from uh, abroad, too? They come from all over the world, um, all over the world, as long as they're written in English, because we only publish here in English, although our books are translated into dozens of languages and and sold all over the world. We're um, very popular throughout the English-speaking world, uh, very popular in India. That's a huge market for us. Um, why Why do you think you're popular in India? Well, we're in English, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, I think that Indians are probably, I guess, it, you know, every culture is different, but I think of India as being a culture of high achievement, where people work really hard and work to better themselves and are looking for inspiration and motivation because they do know that they have a lot of potential and they want to realize it. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a high-achieving country. Wasn't that a surprise to you, though? No. No? Mm-mm. We're, we're very popular all over Asia. Right. We have, we have hundreds of thousands of Facebook followers 
in Asia. Wow. What really took me a surprise, though, when I saw um, cat food and dog food under the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand. We have a really successful um, line of books about dogs and cats. We put one out every 18 months or so, and they're always bestsellers. Our, our last dog and cat books went out about 15 months ago and have been on the cat bestseller list and the dog bestseller list every single week since fall of 2012. And many years ago, a high-quality um, pet food manufacturer came to us and said, we'd love to use your brand name, and so we licensed it. And now we've brought the product in-house. It's no longer a licensed product. Mm -hmm. And we are making fabulous dog food and cat food. It's a very fast-growing line. It's sold in these uh, dog and cat specialty shops. And it's often recommended by breeders. My sister-in-law was so surprised when she went and got a Labradoodle, and the breeder said to her, I will not sell you this puppy unless you promise to feed it chicken soup for the soul puppy food for the first year. And we, were, we, we just loved that. We were flabbergasted. Uh, so we, nothing yeah, like we, a bit of blackmail in our <laughs> business. Yeah, we, we had nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we have the dog and cat food. And people have been coming to us for years and saying, you've got to make food for people, too. And we've been planning it for years, and we finally got the right team together a couple of years ago we brought in uh, the former head chef of the Waldorf Astoria. Mm -hmm. He was there for 30 years, and he is our chef now, creating this line of food. Um, and then we have a partner uh, called Damon, which is a huge food company. And so we have been rolling out a wonderful line of comfort foods across the United States. Um, so it's not health food. It's a comfort food. But it's healthier. It's healthy comfort food. food. Yeah, it's healthier, you know, lower in salt, uh, no artificial flavors. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's great. It really is great. I've been enjoying it so much, and I am so So would it be like pizza, mashed potatoes? Give me some examples. What, what would be on the menu? We have a, a line of soups, and the soups are really flavorful because our chef really loves herbs and spices, and he makes a lot of things a little bit spicy, so these, uh, these, these soups are very current, um, the kinds of flavors people are looking for today, because I think people have more developed palates now. And so we have a Thai-style chicken noodle soup, and we have a, um, a minestrone soup that has a, a real kick to it. So we have a whole line of soups. We have a line of pasta sauces that are delicious. Uh, we have flavored broths, which is really cool. Like I used one the other night. I used our Italian flavored broth and I cooked my pasta right in the broth and it was great. So it's comfort food, but with today's spin on it, it's more sophisticated in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, how would you handle where a critic might come to you and say that, you know, the business mentality of the brand conflicts with the emotional philosophy of the brand because going from a book to, say, dog food to pasta sauces, um, it's basically using the brand to do other types of business. That's true. And uh, How would you handle if someone, uh, if, if a critic came with that? Well, the fact is that we actually have been 
doing everything the chicken soup for the soul way. For example, every food package has a story on it. And um, there's the beginning of a story, and then there's a code to put it on our website to read the rest of the story. And I've actually handpicked every story to go with every food product. And all of the dog and cat food is going to have stories on each package. Also, everything we do is priced at a, at, you know, as a, at a price that is a, a good value for consumers. We also donate a lot of our proceeds to charity. Um, we we have a whole program of selling books to charities at a very low price so that they can then use the books uh, for fundraising purposes. We do a huge amount of work with literacy, um, anti-poverty programs. I mean, we're out there all the time doing good with proceeds from all of our products. We are a big supporter of of, of a nonprofit called the Humpty Dumpty Institute, which uh, removes landmines all over the world, uh, promotes literacy programs, promotes anti-poverty programs, helps feed a lot of people. They work with the UN. So we're out there doing good all of the time. So it, it's a part of what we do. So the brand, you, you leverage the brand in order to do good to others. That's the whole Absolutely. philosophy. Yeah. I mean, we... we in different are, shapes or forms. Yeah, we're supporting a lot of charities. Right. And where's the book available? Well, our books are available wherever books are sold. Uh, we do very well in distribution through the big box stores, mm-hmm. such as Walmart, Target, Kmart. We're in the drugstore chains, such as CVS. We're in the grocery stores, such as Kroger. Um, we're, of course, very big at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. And how are you guys, how are the book sales at the moment? We're good. Yeah, I like to say we're the salmon. Even during the recession, <laughs> when when people's book sales were plummeting, our salmon was just swimming swimming upstream against that current. We were good. Now, the dog food, the cat food, uh, what other future, future projects seem to be in line for CSS, Chicken Soup for the Soul? Well, for a long time, people were telling us that we should get into television and into the movie business. And so we've done that. Uh, and we will have a major motion picture coming out in about a year, and our TV show will be starting um, in the next year also. So the next time we talk, I'll be able to give you a lot more detail about those. Oh, I'm looking forward up to that, especially the TV show. Yeah, it's going to be a daily talk show. Our stories are so powerful. I've, I read our stories all the time and say, wow, you could make a movie just just about this one story that we've gotten. And so we have a lot of great material a lot of wonderful contributors who could uh, come on to TV and tell their stories. Well, great, Amy. Thank you for coming on the show, and all the best to you and your team for the book and the dog food. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com, click on to the VIP Jazzwell Report, and keep your ears open for the airing of the next report coming soon.